The Astros draw first blood in the ALCS, while the Padres even up the NLCS at one game apiece. I'll take a look into my crystal ball to see how these series will play out into the weekend. Four big teams are off of the Week 7 NFL schedule. College football may have a quiet weekend as well. The NBA is underway and a peek into the first week of the NHL season. If it's sports you're looking for, you've come to the right place. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to... Listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Thank you, my fellow sports fans, whether you're a casual backer or a rabid diehard, for coming along on this journey with me as we traipse through the entire landscape of competition as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here as we're in the middle of the week, inching closer to the end of the month. Halloween is on the horizon as we get the ghosts, the goblins, all the candy, trick-or-treat. And then from that point on, we could pretty much kiss 2022 goodbye. But, as I always like to say... We have to stay in the moment, stay present, we can't look too far ahead, and yes, we could kind of speculate or even map out how the final couple of months are going to pan out with the holidays on the horizon and trying to go Christmas shopping and invite family over. I get it, it's going to be a whirlwind and pretty much before you blink an eye, we'll be saying Happy New Year 2023 where the ball drops, but we still have plenty of time between now and then, so currently as we speak... There is a lot to get to here, and we will start off with the baseball because with the AL and NLCS already underway, two games in with the National League as the Phillies and Padres split out in San Diego, and now the scene will shift to Philadelphia starting tomorrow. But I want to start off with the Yankees and Astros. We all know the history between these two teams. We know the rivalry, although it hasn't really been that type of hatred 
between the two organizations. Yes, we could go back to 2017 in particular with everything that has been said from that point on and not to rehash or go over that whole rigmarole with the cheating scandal and the Astros winning the World Series. But in the last couple of years, we've heard Brian Cashman, the GM of the Yankees, come out and put a bullseye on how that championship should have been theirs, how they should have been in the World Series, even the Dodgers for that matter, and made some comments, as we all know, dating back to the 2018, even as early as last year, especially when it comes to the Yankees. So for these teams to meet up for the fourth time in the last eight years and the last three times in the championship series, where we saw that in 2017, obviously 2019, and now this year, and even with the Yankees stumbling in to Houston as they did late in the evening the night prior after disposing of the Guardians finally, and it seemed like it took them a week and a half to do so. I get it that Mother Nature had something to do with that. And you just knew that on Tuesday afternoon when Giancarlo Stanton hit the three-run homer in the bottom of the first that the game was going to be over. And even though I tipped my hand the previous Friday when Giancarlo Stanton hit a two-run homer off of Shane Bieber and I thought that game was going to be over and obviously that wasn't the case as the Guardians came back to win. But for the celebration to pretty much start in the bottom of the first inning, and Aaron Savali did not have it. We could argue whether or not Terry Francona should have put in Shane Bieber. Shame on him if he wanted to put him on ice, not pitch him on three days rest, to where he was looking ahead to the Astros series to have him fresh and ready for game one, which would have been last night, obviously. But that bit him in the rear end, and Francona's been around the block. We understand that Bieber had shoulder issues in the past, and maybe he didn't want to push the envelope with his top starter. But be that as it may, the Yankees prevailed. They rocked the baby at the end with Gleyber Torres, and we saw that with Josh Naylor there, game four. And for Torres to do that, was it necessary? I get it. That's their way to kind of stick their faces in it. But now we get to last night, and I handicapped this a bit on my social media feeds, even the YouTube channel, where I thought the Yankees were going to be competitive, despite the fact that they had a long, grueling, an unexpected five-game series against an undermanned Guardian team, especially when it comes to them offensively. But when we take a look back at last night, and I'm sure the Yankee fan and even the Yankee players, they're probably not going to sleep a wink because they know that they had Justin Verlander on the ropes. Here was a guy that was coming into the postseason, hot as a pistol. Chances are he's going to be your AL Cy Young Award winner at the age of 39, coming off of Tommy John surgery. And we saw his performance in the division series against Seattle, which was not good. And then last night, where you had him on the ropes in the first inning, and even more so in the third inning, where you had second and third and one out, and they weren't able to play the run. And the Yankee fan, I'm sure, they were pulling their hair out of their heads because they knew that that was their opportunity to capitalize, to get a cushion, to get a lead, and they were unsuccessful. And as the game went on, Verlander got hot. Although his pitch count was high in the first three innings, but he was able to manage it in the middle three innings. And by the time he left, after six innings, 11 strikeouts, one walk, three hits, one run, and I believe, what, 102 pitches, he was looking like his old dominant self again. And then that's when the Astros tacked on the three big runs, the home runs by Yuli Gurriel, Chaz McCormick, and then later on, Jeremy Pena. They had a 4-1 lead, and even though with Anthony Rizzo hitting a home run and then a little bit of a rally there in the top of the eighth inning, they were unable to get the tying or even get closer in the game. 
And then you had Ryan Presley have to come in for a four-out save to clean up the mess that Rafael Montero made. But the Astros were able to win a 4-2 game one. And as we look ahead to the rest of the series, tonight you have Luis Severino going up against Framber Valdez. And Severino, who obviously can be electric, you don't know from one start to the next what you're going to get. With Severino, who's obviously gone through a ton of arm injuries over the last few years. But he can go out there and perform, and he can put up a big performance here, and he's going to have to in order for this Yankee team to win. And the reason why I say that is because the way the pitching is lined up for the Yankees, we get it because of the rainouts and postponements, and with the way that the calendar had fallen, having to play a fifth game, etc., where you're only going to see Garrett Cole probably once in the series, even if it does go seven games, although I would think that Aaron Boone will give Garrett Cole the ball to start in a Game 7 in Houston if it goes that far, even on three days rest. You're only going to see Nestor Cortez in Game 4 based on the fact that he pitched in Game 5 and gave you five good innings in that start. And because Severino in this start tonight is so critical to see if the Yankees can come away with finally climbing Mount Houston and dethroning the Astros as they haven't done in 2015, 17, and 19. This is the pivotal game. Can you see the Yankees even crawling back to make it 2-2 with Cole and Nesta Cortez to get themselves to a game five where it pretty much could be a do-or-die game for the Yankees? Of course I could see that. But do you really want to go there knowing that if you do go down 0-2, And even with the next three games in your building and with your top two pitchers on deck, you certainly don't want to tempt or even risk fate to the point where even with the home crowd behind you, even with the atmosphere, it's going to be chilly. It's going to be raucous because these games are going to be on the weekend, Saturday night in particular, game three. Wouldn't you want Severino to kind of take your team home? Now, granted, he's not going to go ahead and pitch seven, eight innings, but to have a good enough of a start. And hopefully the Yankee offense will get to Framber Valdez to where you could have a party Saturday night knowing that your series is tied at one. You could do your best to get under the Astros' skin. And we understand it's going to be tough to do that because the Astros have pretty much heard it over the years from various crowds. I understand it's not New York or Boston or a particular city that's going to have a rabid fan base. But I would think if the Yankees are going to win this series, they have to win tonight. Because for them to be down 0-2 and have to win 4 out of 5 against the Astros, and as it is to this very point, you've played 8 games against the Astros, you've lost 6 of them, and the other 2 were walk-offs. So, is it insurmountable? Borderline, yes. So, to me, Severino's going to have to put up a big performance tonight, at least go 6 innings, He's going to have to give him five, I get it, and then you can hand it to the bullpen. But if you have Severino go six innings, two-run, four-hit baseball, throw in six strikeouts, and maybe have a 4-2 lead if you get to Framber Valdez early and not be hypnotized by that curveball and his off-speed pitches, then you're going to have a shot here. Because I would think that if you go down 0-2, whether you're a player, the manager, the fan base, etc., You're not going to have your chest puffed out come Saturday night in that building knowing that you're going to have to pretty much run the table to get back to Houston up 3-2. And we all know that's not a guarantee. Look at 2017. 
So that's how I look at it. The Astros obviously have no pressure. They've been down this road before. To me, you can't even rattle this team. You could try your best if you're the Yankee fan out in the bleachers in right field or down the right field line or whatever it is. doesn't matter. Because this Astro team is probably as battle-tested as any of the teams obviously remaining. But even if the Dodgers or the Braves were still alive in this postseason, the Astros could stare them right in the eye and say, we've been there, done that. So what it all boils down to is, can the Yankees win this series down 0-2? I think not. Can the Yankees win this series even at 1-1? Absolutely. They got a shot. I picked the Astros to win in 6 There's some people that actually picked the Astros to win in five, which I was actually surprised to hear that. And a lot of it had to do with the way the Yankee rotation is because chances are you're only going to see Garrett Cole once, maybe twice if it does get to a game seven, as I mentioned earlier, even on short rest. And with Cortez in game four, I get it. He could probably come back in a game seven and give you a couple of innings in relief. But it really is an uphill battle for this Yankee team. And I understand it's not all their fault. Part of it had to do with the weather, and pushing up a Game 5 literally the day before the ALCS. But you have to roll with it. And it is going to be tough sledding for this Yankee team, I think, if they lose tonight, for them to get to a World Series, it's going to be a tall chore, to say the least. As for the NLCS, we have a split where the Phillies were able to get Game 1 in a pitcher's matchup where you had you Darvish give up two mistakes, one to Harper as you hit him out to left center field, and then Kyle Schwarber, who hit one, I think, to Arizona. And it still may be going. But then Zach Wheeler, seven innings, one hit ball, and 83 pitches. Why he didn't go out to pitch the eighth or even extend them maybe to a complete game? And I understand you may want to get your bullpen involved. You don't want to put your bullpen on ice for another night, you want to get them involved, but because it was a 2 nothing game and the slimmest of margins to where that Philly bullpen, I can't really trust, although they have performed pretty well here so far in October, but again, it's not like you have Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, and Randy Myers coming out of that bullpen. Think back to the Nasty Boys, Cincinnati Reds, 1990, look it up. But for the Phillies to get game one and a lot of momentum coming off of that Brave series, and with Aaron Nola going up and getting two, a lot of people thought that they could probably take a 2-0 series lead back to Philadelphia, to their home park, crowd, into the weekend to where even if they lose a game, they could still have that home field advantage and win the series without having to get on a flight back to San Diego for game six. But as it was yesterday, they spotted Aaron Nola a 4-0 lead, and as I say time after time after time, When your team puts up a crooked number, as they did in the top of the second, you want to answer back with a zero. Does that automatically guarantee a victory? No, but it does stave off any momentum, in this case, that the home team would have, considering that they did score two runs to make it 4-2, put a little life in their dugout, and obviously that led to a fifth inning where there was an uprising of five runs and Aaron Nola did not have it. He unfortunately did not back up his previous start in Philadelphia. Granted that he had a bunch of runs to work with in that game three, but still was unable to hold a 4-0 lead into the fifth inning. It all got away from them. And the next thing you know, the Padres win an 8-5 game to even up their series at one game apiece. And it happens. Nola's not going to 
go out and be dominant every time out. And as we saw here, the Padres certainly weren't going to roll over and think that the road that they took to get here, beating the Mets and the Dodgers, two 100-win teams, and then all of a sudden just hand it over to the Phillies, thankfully that wasn't going to be the case, A. But B, more importantly, you knew that there was going to be more pride in that dugout knowing that it was desperation time. They could not go to Philadelphia down 0-2. And as I look at the weekend, not knowing what the starting pitching matchups are going to be for games 4 and 5, we do know that Joe Musgrove will go up against Ranger Suarez. And for Musgrove, who pitched in a game 3 in a deciding game 3 in New York a couple of weeks ago, And granted that, I'm sure the crowd was tense, and I'm sure the Met fan knew in the back of their minds that although being cautiously optimistic, but knew that they were going to get their heart stomped on, and as we saw, Musgrove, seven innings, one hit ball, checking his ears for sticky substance, and knowing that he could perform in a setting like that could bode well for the Padres here in this game three. Now, mind you, Wild card, championship series. And the Philly fan, they're just as rabid, vocal, etc. To me, how I look at it, obviously if the Padres win one game, they're going to take the series back to San Diego. But my thing is, is that, can they get two games? I think they can. I like the Philly offense better, as I mentioned the other day. I would think the Phillies would take two of the next three. And even though I think this is going to be a long series... But when we look at what could possibly take place, it's not a matter of Philadelphia winning two games because we would think in their home ballpark and, again, not knowing what the pitching matchups are going to be. So let's say for argument's sake, if Musgrove does win game number three, who will the Padres start in game four? Chances are you're not going to see you Darvish because if they're down to one, maybe you see Darvish pitching a game four with three days rest. And that would mean the same for Blake Snell if they're even 2-2. Or, God forbid, even down 3-1 if you're a Padre fan. But this is why it's important for the Padres to get this third game. Because of Musgrove, of what he's done so far this postseason. And then on top of that, to know that they'll have a cushion, they won't have to worry about having to move their rotation up because they're going to be in desperation mode. And that's not to say that they'll take their foot off the gas that if they do win a game three that they're just going to throw a bullpen game or just take it easy to say, all right, we'll see what we got in game five with Darvish and we'll take it from there. I would think that the Padres are going to want to put as much pressure on Philadelphia as they can. And off the top of my head, I would think that the Phillies in game four would probably pitch Noah Syndergaard. And whether win or lose in game three for the Padres, you would think it's going to be Mike Clevenger. So, I think it's imperative to figure out how the Padres, forget about one game. Now, if they lose game three and have to move up their rotation, they could be into some trouble. Because I don't think they're going to want to pitch Mike Clevenger in pretty much a do-or-die game. And I understand that they won't lose the series if Clevenger starts and loses because you'll still have Darvish in five, Snell in six. But we all know that they're not going to have any margin for error If it just so happens that the Philly offense wakes up to the point where they chase Musgrove out of the game, and if Clevenger does start, or even Darvish starts, they chase them out of the game, and then next thing you know, San Diego is going to be 
gasping for air, trying to stay alive and see if they could get this series back to Southern California. That's the storyline that I look at coming into the weekend because it's not a matter of will Philly win two games or could they sweep, etc. Is if San Diego, you would think they're going to get one game and if so, the home field advantage worked to the Phillies' benefit. But now, as they go back to San Diego, can they seal the deal in a game six or seven if it goes that far? But to me, it's whether or not San Diego could get those two games and then really put the pressure on Philadelphia as they would have to have two elimination games in six and seven. We will see. Looking forward to it. Obviously, when we reconvene on Monday, we'll have a scenario where we'll be heading into a game six that evening and then a game five that afternoon between the Astros and Yankees as we're that closer to getting to a fall classic and deciding who's going to be in the World Series. All right, now let's uh, strap in the shoulder pads, the helmet, as we look forward to some football here, a week seven in the NFL, as well as a college football weekend. And here's what you need to know about the schedule for the NFL this week. The four teams that have buys are Buffalo, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and the Rams. All right, we could say the Rams, they've been plodding along here, 500, have not gotten their season on track. We could look at them as the defending Super Bowl champs and we have to give them that right and respect in that regard. But when you have three teams, Philly, Minnesota, Buffalo, with just two losses under their belt between the three teams, not being on tap this weekend, that's a big blow to your sport. Now, it just so happened by luck that they all happen to fall together on a bye week and there isn't anything you could do about it. But with that being said, and these are just your primetime games. Tonight you have a barn burner in the desert on Amazon Prime where the Saints will play the Cardinals. So if that's going to be your appetizer, I'm sure you want to push it off the table and get right to the main course. With that being your 425 game, and it's a good one, is a great no, Kansas City at San Francisco. And then you're probably thinking, all right, not a bad salad or bad first course, but let's get to the main course. What's the Sunday night game? Pittsburgh at Miami. Tua Tagovailoa is going to be in the lineup. Kenny Pickett it hasn't been determined whether or not he's going to start on the center. But again, not a sexy matchup, not a great game overall. So just when you thought that your main course was coming and you were really going to dig in, you kind of look at it and say, I don't even know if I want to stick my fork in this, let alone eat this. And then your Monday night game, when you're thinking, all right, so the appetizer wasn't great, the first course was eh, and the main course was pretty much nothing to look at. What do you got for dessert? Monday night, your matchup in New England are the Bears and Patriots. Where a lot of people are going to look at those two teams and look at their watch and probably say, what time is the NLCS on? Now, granted, everybody's going to watch the football regardless. It could be Jacksonville at Tennessee. I understand Tennessee's a decent team and Jacksonville, at least they're a team that you could watch. But my point is, is that you could have the two worst teams in the NFL play on a Monday night and that's going to draw a bigger rating than anything that basketball, 
hockey or baseball could produce, even in a setting where it's a championship series when it comes to baseball for a chance to go to a World Series. But based on those games right there, you know that you're going to have a slog of an NFL Week 7. And as we look at it, Atlanta at Cincinnati, with the way the Falcons have played, it's a decent game, but by any means, it's not a five-star matchup. Detroit at Dallas, India, Tennessee, all right, a little intrigue there because Indianapolis now at 3-2-1, we'll see if they could go on the road and put forth a big performance like Matt Ryan did against Jacksonville at home this past Sunday, maybe some momentum to bring them down to Nashville and maybe pull off a minor upset. Green Bay at Washington, pass. Tampa Bay at Carolina, pass. New York at Jacksonville, I can see Jacksonville pulling off an upset here. They have not played well over the last few weeks. The Giants have been flying high. And I could just get a sense that Jacksonville will be up for this game. That's not to say they weren't up for the three previous games. But because they've been in a funk and been in a lull and the Giants have been riding high, whatever the spread is, I'm sure everybody's putting down some shekels on the Giants. And then watch in 90 degree heat, the Jaguars will come out victorious, and the Giants will fall to 5-2. Cleveland at Baltimore, a huge game for the Browns. Division rival, but again, not a great matchup. Three-star, three-and-a-half at best. Jets at Denver. Houston at Vegas. Seattle at the Chargers. Not a lot there when you look at the Week 7 slate, people. And again, when you have those four big teams out, And I'm just throwing the Rams in there based on what they did last year, of course. There's not a lot to chew on. KC at San Francisco is a good game, and who knows? Maybe that will turn out to be the big game that the whole country will see. A pretty good game. And Kansas City coming off that loss to Buffalo. San Francisco coming off that loss to Atlanta. Who knows? But otherwise, nothing to sneeze at here when we look at what's happening with the NFL this week. And you could pretty much say the same for college football because we talked about it on the podcast Monday. You had, an, let's face it, an epic mid-October weekend for college football last week. Not only with Tennessee beating Alabama and how that was a classic regular season game. We saw what happened with USC losing. We saw what happened with Oklahoma State losing. So you had all these teams, even Utah. Well, Utah, of course, they beat USC. You had a lot of good games and a lot of them factoring into the top 10 and the grand scheme of the college football playoff. And this week, there's a little bit of a tail off. There is a bit of a letdown, which I don't know whether you could say it's expected or not, because once you get into November, you're really going to get a lot of big games, Tennessee, Georgia, obviously Michigan, Ohio State, which are really going to be ginormous games when it comes to the college football landscape. But this week... The highlight game, if you ask me, when you look at it, no, it's not Syracuse at Clemson. And give it up for Syracuse. They're now ranked 14th in the country, and they played very well. But now they're going into the deep end of the pool. And the game is on the road. I can see this is a 35-14 type game. To me, your big game of the week is UCLA-Oregon. UCLA with Chip Kelly and what they've been able to do so far this season Oregon, who bounced back nicely after losing that opening game against Georgia, as we talked about there early on. And then Oregon 
as they try to get their footing here, knowing that after that week one drubbing at the hands of the national champions, they're trying to right the ship to see if they could be part of that playoff discussion. And even though that's not an overtly sexy game or a matchup that everybody's going to be focused on, but when we look at the schedule this week, that's the one that a lot of people may look at and say, let's tune into that. Because you're not going to follow Iowa and Ohio State, University of Tennessee Martin against Tennessee. You're not even going to look at Alabama, Mississippi State. All right, we could say maybe that, but we know after the loss last week to Tennessee and then being back at home in Tuscaloosa, if Mississippi State is close in the third quarter, I'd be surprised. This is another deep end of the pool game for them. Texas and Oklahoma State, I'm not going to get crazy about that. Although Texas is now ranked their 20th and Oklahoma State trying to bounce back from their loss to TCU. So, I'm not going to say it's slim pickings this week. K-State against TCU, eh. But certainly not like last week where we had all those games and the upsets, etc. Which really turned the college football schedule on its ear. The NBA season has tipped off. It's already underway. Now as I lace up my high tops. And what we've seen here over the first couple of games, just some storylines to start. I know the Lakers lost the other night to Golden State in the ring ceremony and raising of the banner to the Chase Center rafters where Golden State was victorious. And I know LeBron in his postgame came out and said that the team, we do not have 40% three-point shooters. I don't want to say he went in on his team, but he certainly put his team out there to say that this is going to be an ongoing theme with us because despite the star power that may be in that locker room doesn't automatically or necessarily mean that they're going to have a successful season or that they're going to shoot the lights out of the ball. And I don't know if that was him putting his team on notice, but if he did so after the first game, who knows what the rest of the season is going to look like. And again, I'm not going to just base it off one game. Please, you went up against the defending champs. It was a celebratory mood. So, of course, you're going to be up against it and behind the eight ball a little bit, even if you are the Lakers, to know that, is it going to be an impossible game to win? No, but it's going to be challenging and a lot to overcome, to say the least. But for the Lakers tonight, they have a big game against their crosstown rivals, the Clippers. And the Clippers, I don't even believe they've played just yet. No, as a matter of fact, this will be their first game, and it's a road game for the Clippers. And of course, a lot is going to be cast upon That team with Kawhi Leonard finally going to be in action for the first time since he blew out his knee in that Utah series, or I believe it was in the Phoenix series, game four, I want to say. He injured in that Utah series. I believe he tried to gut it out in the conference final against the Suns two years ago. But for Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, now John Wall, of course the import from Houston, and as we know from his days in Washington, This is going to be interesting to see how the Clippers, and again, it's just one game, we can't just base it on that, how they're going to perform, how they're going to gel, and their first game is against LeBron, AD, Russell Westbrook, and company. So, And that's a TNT game tonight. You also have Milwaukee and Philadelphia, so you have two very good games for your TNT, which they open up the season on Tuesday. I get that with the Celtics and Sixers and the aforementioned Warrior-Laker game, but... 
You do have a couple of big games tonight. So if you do not want to watch New Orleans and Arizona, and I don't blame you, turn on the basketball. You'll get to see Giannis. You'll get to see Joel Embiid. And then obviously Kawhi and his first action going back over two years ago. So you have that. But then last night, you had Zion Williamson, who is pretty much here in the backyard in Brooklyn, with a surprising dominant effort. 130 to 108 against the Brooklyn Nets. And for everybody, I'm sure they're probably thinking that the sky's falling in Brooklyn, knowing that everybody's on the same page. Clean slate. You want to put the past behind you with the vaccinations or the non vaccinations if you're Kyrie Irving with the back issues and the everything surrounding Ben Simmons and also the trade demand by Kevin Durant. All right, we could bury that, put that aside, and let's see where we go against a young Pelican team. And boy, did they run him out of the gym. Now, I didn't follow this game. Of course, I was on top of the baseball. But when we see the score, and at one point I thought I saw that the score was 113-93, and I'm thinking to myself, whoa, what is going on here? So for Zion Williamson to get his first game action in pretty much the same time period as Kawhi Leonard, he put up 25 points, 22 shots he took. So he did take a lot of shots. But Brandon Ingram was your leading scorer. And they're a young, vibrant, up-and-coming team. Now that you have Zion in the mix, and we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday and even more so weeks ago when we heard that Zion Williamson was having a tremendous camp, that he was in good shape, the explosion, everything seemed to be there. This team could have a huge year. Does a huge year mean 50, 52 wins? For the Pelicans, it is, but we all know the West is loaded with a bunch of teams a la Golden State, the Clippers, the Suns responded in a big way last night, and I'm sure the schedule makers, maybe they did that on purpose as I segue from the Pelicans, and I'll get back to the Nets in a second, from the Pelicans to the Mavericks, because the Mavericks had to go to Phoenix to start their season, and I'm sure the schedule makers said, let's have Dallas go back to the scene of the crime there, Game 7 of the conference semifinals last year out west to where Chris Paul scored one point. The Mavericks, I think, were up by 40 at the half and then went away winning by 33 or whatever the final score was. And you knew that the Suns were stewing all summer long with that defeat. On top of what's gone on in the organization with Robert Sarver and now him selling the team. So you had all this hanging over their heads and then last night, you see Luka, you see that Maverick uniform, you see their team come in there, and to try to erase the bad taste out of their mouths, granted, you cannot compare the regular season game one to a game seven of a conference semifinal, but at least for last night, and even though Dallas was in control early on and at the half, I believe they were up by 15, and then the Suns came back, and they were able to pull away victorious at the end, winning by two points. And the Suns, who I picked as an under this year, 52 and a half. One game you're not going to base everything on, but a great start for them. And you wonder, is that going to be a springboard? No, not going to get that crazy. But you have to wonder whether or not there's going to be a chip on their shoulder with everything that I just mentioned. Having to hear all the pundits all offseason about what happened in that game seven, the situation with the organization, and wondering whether or not that they have enough gas in the tank this year to go up against the aforementioned Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets, you want to throw in the Lakers, be my guest, teams like that where they're going to have to compete 
to get out of a Western Conference to get back to a final as they did two years ago. And then to now make it full circle as far as the Nets go, it's one game, can't get crazy. I'm sure the 30 Net fans that are out there are probably thinking, oh boy, is it going to be this type of season where the younger team is going to run us out of the gym with the older vets and who knows what Simmons, even though he's a young guy, but with the bad back. And if that's going to be nagging throughout the year, not to say that that was the reason last night. And you can't look at Ben Simmons' numbers. I believe, what was he, two for three from the field? And he did foul out of the game, which obviously wasn't good. And again, since I didn't watch the game, I don't know if he was guarding Brandon Ingram a lot or even Zion for a time. But we cannot look at Ben Simmons' box score and either praise him or critique him. Now, granted, if he's putting up assists and rebounds, that's what you want. Because that's going to be his game and obviously his defense is his strongest point. But when we... Take a look at the box score. You can't say that, oh my God, Ben Simmons in 23 minutes only scored four points, five rebounds, five assists. Yeah, he did foul out. He did have three turnovers. But again, the point total is not going to be the determining factor. It's what he does in transition. It's what he does off the glass. And then obviously him locking down the other player's best offensive player is what you're going to judge Ben Simmons on. And when we look at Kyrie, he did not have a good game. 0 for 6 from 3. Ended up with what? 15 points in the game. KD, 32 points. Typical Kevin Durant fashion, but obviously he's not a one-man band. So that's what you have there for the Nets. And not to belabor the Nets or their season or everything that's happened, but in the first couple of nights, this is what we have. And then the Celtics winning game one against Philly. And one thing I didn't really touch on, and I'll just be brief here, people, because I know, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels now talking about the Celtics. But with Joe Mazzulla, who's now the interim coach, who knows what's going to happen with Ime Adoka, as we talked about weeks ago. But you wonder whether or not this team is going to rally around this. And not just for one game, not just for a month, not just for half a season. And of course, the response was very good there in the opening night. 35 points from Jason Tatum, 35 points from Jalen Brown. Of course, those are the two big guns. Let's see what Malcolm Brogdon contributes. Marcus Smart, you know, is going to be a defensive stalwart, and whatever you get from him offensively is going to be huge. Al Horford, we know his leadership and his presence is enormous on this team. But we have to wait and see how this is going to play out, not only as we get deeper into the season, but more so in crunch time in the playoffs. That's where this is really going to take into shape and really get to find out how this team is going to play under this coach. For one game at home against a division rival, where they're victorious, where they're going to shower him with water or beer or whatever it is, of course it's going to be festive. Of course it's going to be as if everything is coconuts and palm trees. But remember, last year this team started off 18-21 and and turned their season around. Not to say it's going to be reverse, where they get off to, I don't know, 17-7, and or they're 21 and 8, and then next thing you know, they're at 500, and it's the early part of March. We're going to have to wait and really find out how, deeper into the season and more so into the playoffs, if this team is going to have enough. Talent wise, yes, they do, but led by their young coach, the youngest coach in the league, by the way, and for him to kind of take the reins of a team that made it to a Game 6 of the NBA Finals and have to get back there 
based on the talent that he has and everything they accomplished from the second half of the season last year all the way to the middle part of June, it's going to be a lot to ask for. So that's something we'll have to pay attention to once we get past the All-Star break into March, into April, and obviously once the seating is set where the Celtics fall and where they match up. And of course, their health is going to be huge too. There's no other way to cut it. And that's what you have in the NBA here in the first couple of days. And as for the NHL, I know it's early. It's only, what, nine days into the season? And not many teams have played four games. Although the Vegas Golden Knights, who got off to a 3-0 start, they lost last night, I believe, which was their fourth game. And when they played the Calgary Flames, who are undefeated at the present moment, at 3-0, and they're atops the Pacific Division. Calgary, 3-0. You also have the Carolina Hurricanes, who haven't skipped a beat. They're off to a 3-0 start themselves. The Dallas Stars, the same. And you also look at a team like Colorado, the defending champs, 2-1-1 so far, four games in. The Bruins and Panthers off to 3-1 starts. The Red Wings, how about them? They've been pretty much at the bottom of the NHL ladder. They've gotten off to a decent start at 2-0-1. The Rangers are 3-1. So a lot of the teams that you would expect, except for one, believe it or not, and I'll get to them in a minute, a lot of the teams that you expect to get off to good starts, they pretty much have done so. But there is one team, believe it or not, that when you look at the standings and you say to yourself, wait a minute, this team's in last place? That would be the Tampa Bay Lightning as they're off to a 1-3 start. Now again, are we going to base four games and think that the rest of the season is going to be an uphill battle for a team that's made it to three straight Stanley Cup Finals? Absolutely not. But let's face it, three of the first four games were on the road. Granted, they didn't go out west or western Canada for that matter, but they were unable to win in Pittsburgh. They lost to the Flyers, who have gotten off to a good start themselves. They actually are 3-1. and one. And they host the Panthers, or they're at the Panthers tomorrow night, which I'm sure Florida's going to want to get at them for what they've done to them in the past two postseasons. But Tampa not off to a flying start themselves. So that may be something to pay attention to early on in this NHL season. What we've seen so far, though, the Minnesota Wild, a team that I picked as an over, they're off to an 0-3 start. And San Jose, which had those two games in the Czech Republic against Nashville, that they lost back-to-back, well, doesn't matter whether they're overseas, here in the States, or even north of the border, they have not been able to win a game as they're 0-5. So, those are the teams that have slowly crept out of the gate or have not gotten out of the gate so far this early part of the NHL season. But we'll pay attention to it as we go along. And again, we're just getting started on both the fall and winter sports. I'm sure there are going to be times where we may not delve into it on a podcast-to-podcast basis, especially when we get to Monday, unless something epic happens or something that goes on in that sport that we, of course, have to keep an eye on or pay attention to or cover. You know I got you covered, without question. But we know that once we get deeper into October, especially with the baseball as we crown a champion in the next few weeks, the football will be front and center and take over the podcast pretty much from November through February. College football, pretty much the same. Well, really to the early part of January, of course. And then 
will ease into those fall and winter sports and get a better feel as we get closer to the end of the year and into next year. Pretty much what I said at the very top of this podcast, because before you know it, when we come to Monday's podcast, we'll be a week away from Halloween. Then we're going to be talking about Happy Thanksgiving. We'll look forward to the festive time of the year. Then Christmas, New Year's, and before you know it, the ball will drop and it'll be 2023. But let's not rush it, people. It'll come before you know it. We'll get there one day at a time. And as we know, time flies by way too quick. So savor the moment, be present, enjoy, and obviously we'll watch everything unfold in the sports universe. As you know, your boy Jay Reels will be on top of it. That'll do it. Another episode just about in the books. But as always, in my little housekeeping before I bid adieu, thank you guys and gals so much for stopping by as your source for all the sauce in the world of sports. Yours truly delivering it to you here on this platform, which I am grateful and thankful for, and even more so grateful and thankful for your participation. It is not taken for granted, as you all know. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Let's increase the visibility as I continue to work behind the scenes to try to get guests to increase the profile, increase the visibility of this podcast, and of course, I need your help in doing so. So if you haven't done so, throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could do so at the following social media accounts or email. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels won just a number. I have contemplated changing that to the J Reels Podcast, and when I do so, obviously you'll know. And the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A, T as in Tom, R, E, O, N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, because I want this experience for you guys and gals to be crystal clear coming through this microphone into your earbuds or speakers because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. This is my wheelhouse. Pretty much since the day I came out of my mother's stomach. Not to give you a visual by any stretch, but it doesn't matter. Whether it's praise, critique, my thoughts, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. It doesn't matter because I love to dive in, divulge, and then dissect so you could digest anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>